Welcome to the Steady On Stronger Together podcast. I am your host, Angie Ballman. Today, I am welcoming Angela Smith as my guest. Angela serves as the Vice President of International Ministries at St. Francis Ministries in Salina, Kansas. The mission of St. Francis is to transform lives and systems, and under Angela's leadership, programs are addressing the needs of individual clients, as well as working to improve struggling systems that contribute to the reasons children are in need of welfare services. Angela has a great deal of experience with the unique needs of immigrant families, as well as the culture of the Central American countries St. Francis partners with in order to help children thrive in their family of origin. I learned a lot in my short time with Angela, and I believe our discussion will inspire you as you listen to specific ways the people of St. Francis Ministries are doing the messy work of being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in. Hello, Steady On friends, and welcome to our Stronger Together conversation, and I am so excited to welcome my friend, Angela Smith, who is someone that actually I have known for a long time, although I would say that we've never really known each other well, Um, but we have known each other for quite a while. I'm still doing some clicking so that I can see that we're alive and all that kind of good stuff, but we've known each other a long time. And one of the things that I've always admired about you, Angela, several things actually, is um, just the confidence that you exhibit and also um, just your dedication and your willingness, what seems to be to me, a lack of fear to use your voice when you need to. And I've been so um, ad- admiring that. I've admired that for years. And also, I don't, uh, I'm not too shy to say, I've also been very envious of your beautiful hair for years. <laughs> <laughs> and so very <laughs> I am delighted to have you today to talk about what I think is just a really important issue that we're going to learn from you about. And um, before we dive into that, though, just a little bit of background on Angela. She lives in Salina, Kansas, and she is wife to Bobby and mom of four daughters fluent in Spanish, and we'll get to why that's so important in your work um, in just a few minutes, crazy about her family, and passionate about working, I think, to get to the heart of the problem, um, to really try to address the core issues. And Angela and I reconnected several years ago on Facebook, and then a little bit uh, better reconnection, maybe a couple years ago, when I reached out to her because she had posted something on her Facebook. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it talked about Um, the need for feminine hygiene supplies in underserved areas. And that was something that the Holy Spirit had been doing this stirring on my heart for quite a while, but I didn't kind of know how to answer that. And when you posted that, I reached out to you and said, what do you know about this? And so we talked a little bit and Angela actually introduced me to Linda Muth. And for those of you who are steady on followers, you'll recognize that name because she's kind of the heart of our support in El Salvador. Uh, We work with Linda to raise money and send it to El Salvador and there they make feminine hygiene kits that are sanitary and washable and reusable. They hand those out to school-age girls uh, to help keep them in school because so many girls miss school when they're on their period because they simply don't have anything to, to help them deal. They don't have anything that they that, what they need. And so that ministry was birthed in large part to your willingness to have some conversation with me. And so I just, on behalf of all of us that work in that ministry and that outreach program, thank you, uh, because that isn't even part of what you do really, but you were willing to help me get started. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. It's doing a world of good, I think, over there, and the best is yet to come. I am confident in that. So Angela is the Vice President of International Ministries at St. Francis Ministries, which operates in six states. And um, tell us a little bit about what St. Francis is, if you will, and kind of what your job is there. 
Okay. Um, and thank you. First, I just want to say thank you, Angie, for inviting me on the program today. I'm super excited to be here and to meet your viewers and your audience uh, and the people who participate in, in the ministry that you lead. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm thank so you. glad that we reconnected. And that me we're too. We have today. a beautiful community here. I will just uh, brag on the Steady On group. They are just a wonderful, lovely group of people to do life with. So thank you. Well, it's great to be here. Um, so St. Francis Ministries is a human services organization serving children and families, children, youth, and families, and communities. Um, here in the United States, like you said, we operate in six states, uh, in Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, uh, and then we also have an office in Washington, D.C., and one in Chicago. So uh, we're growing in the United States. We provide services like foster care and reintegration or reunification of families uh, when they've had uh, experiences with the, the foster care system, <clears throat> excuse me, and then also support services like behavioral health, uh, counseling for addiction and trauma services, psychiatric residential treatment. Uh, we also have uh, congregate care group homes when that's uh, necessary, and then family strengthening programs, which really is, is, is where we prefer to be able to meet families. And then we also have a program that serves adolescent girls who have survived sex trafficking. Um, that program is called Clover House. And in Mississippi, we also provide services to adults with developmental disabilities so that they can live as independently as possible. That is that's, a lot. That's more or less the, the St. Francis that yes. we'll, we'll find here in the United States. And then, as you mentioned, we also work internationally. And I think we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. So talk to me a little bit. You've had a couple of positions as since you've been to Saint, at St. Saint Francis, right? Um, talk to us about what, maybe where you were first when your focus was more on trafficking, but then now what your job is now as the Vice President of International Ministries. Okay. Uh, when I started out at St. Francis, I served as the director of mission engagement, uh, and I was specifically charged with looking at some, some issues that we call intersectional is issues. So issues that we often um, address within the child and family services uh, sector. So things like um, poverty, which is a huge issue, as we all know, substance abuse, um, and also human trafficking and migration. So those four issues were really the core of my work when I began working at St. Francis. And my very first project uh, was to work with a, um, a team of professionals to develop a model that we call Clover House, which is the program that serves adolescent girls who have experienced sex trafficking, who've been survivors, who are survivors of sex trafficking. So that program is a holistic program that really looks at the whole girl and the experience that she's had. Um, and attempts to help her to overcome um, the trauma of sex trafficking to be able to work through the trauma of sex trafficking and to be as successful as she possibly can. Uh, so that program uh, began under my leadership in, um, gosh, it's been, I've been working at St. Francis for a little over five years. So um, we've been um, developed, we've developed that model uh, when I was working as director of mission engagement. And then later as the work developed in on the issue of migration, that work really took us to new places that required my full attention. And that's where international ministries became a part of St. Francis because of the need that we saw um, based on the intersection of migration with the child welfare and child and family services sector, the kind of work that we do traditionally. 
So let me say this in layman's terms, and then you correct me when I'm when I'm wrong about this, because what I understood when we we're doing like our pre-interview talk is like kind of the the issue is the reason that you're wanting to serve children, not just clients, but serve systems, because you talked about how you all you also you serve clients, but you also address systems is because by the time the child gets into your system in St. Francis, they've been through multiple traumas, right? Like the if I understand correctly, like the thing that had them referred to your service is not the only thing that needs to be addressed, right? And so um, part of your focus is helping get at the root of the problem, especially with issues of migration. Is that the right uh, language to use migration or refugees? What is the um, best vocabulary around that? Yeah, I would say migration. Actually. Migration, okay. Uh, as, an, as an intersectional issue, I would say migration. Okay, okay. And um, so think of it like this. This is how I've been thinking about it. You tell me. So a child is like moved from his or her home in Central America, which is primarily where you're focusing on the systems, right? Is that true? Well, we focus on systems both here in the United States and okay. internationally. Actually, the vision of the organization is to transform lives and systems in ways that others believe impossible. So, uh, you know, mm. focusing just on, uh, on on systems isn't enough because we know that there are children and families who need that direct intervention and help. But focusing on just the individual also doesn't get to the root of the problem sometimes. So we need to focus on systems in order to make sure that people have um, simultaneously. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So by the time they're referred to you, they have likely been through multiple things, like from the move, if they have migrated, uh, whatever caused them to need to move could have been traumatic. Um, the move itself could have been traumatic. And then once they're in the United States, whatever has caused them to need to be referred to your service has been traumatic. Is that a fair assessment kind of of a lot of the clients that you're seeing? That's a fair assessment. And if we're, if we're speaking to the international services, I would say that's an absolute truth. Um, we know that the children who arrive to our services here in the United States, when, when they enter into the child welfare system, Angie, they've, they've come to us in foster care, particularly uh, when we have families that are in foster care and reintegration. You know, even in the family preservation sense, we're usually seeing some sort of issue of abuse or neglect or even abandonment in some circumstances. So that kind of a trauma is the trauma that leads children to enter into child welfare services mm -hmm. here in the United States. And then, and then internationally, you know, we're looking at, at a unique trauma really when we talk about migration because the children who enter into our care here in the United States in the child welfare system um, who've, who've experienced that abuse or neglect or, or abandonment, um, when, when we're talking about a child who's migrated, there's some kind of trauma that's occurred where, uh, where they're from uh, in their home country uh, that has led them to migrate, whether that's poverty related or violence related in a lot of cases, um, those children have experienced something in their home country that has resulted in their migration. Um, and you, oh, sorry, go ahead, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, that's okay. And then, and then when we think about the experience of migration itself, and maybe you and your viewers have heard of things like La Bestia, which is the train that comes through, through Mexico from Central America, and people often ride on top of it. People fall off of it, people lose limbs, people are killed. Um, and then there are issues like uh, sexual violence and um, forced participation in criminal activities just to save your own life sometimes. Um, so you can imagine that these are traumatic uh, experiences often for adults uh, on that migration route. So if you can imagine it for an adult, imagine what kind of trauma that must mean for a child. 
Uh, and then once they get here, they have another incident of some sort that has led to them uh, entering into the child welfare system at the state level. Because when we talk about the, the kinds of immigration uh, situations that we have in child welfare, um, and that's state um, child welfare systems, we're not talking about the same situation that we see on the border with children in centers where they've migrated and come to the country and ended up in um, centers run by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, for example, and, they're, and, and, and it's specifically related to their migration and that's all. When they come to our services here in the United States at St. Francis, it's because they've experienced that abuse, neglect, abandonment right here in the United States. And so it's another layer of trauma. So we look at it as, as layered trauma and a need for unique services that uh, support and um, provide um, really attention to those kinds of experiences that have led to them getting here uh, and also um, what got them into the child welfare system. I, I don't like, but I appreciate layered trauma. That makes sense to me where it's just, and, and that what you were just saying makes me think of two questions if I can pose them back to you. And one, why are people on top of that train? Because it's too, I don't know about what that is. Is that because it's so full that they're riding I mean, on that's top? Just, that's just one example. That's a, Sure, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, it, I just that stuck, yeah, sticks okay. in my mind as something just horrible. And so- Movies and books out there that we uh -huh. talk more about. Um, actually, if you've not read Enrique's Journey, that was probably the first book that I read about migration that okay. really inspired me to learn more about uh, and, and become engaged in this kind of okay. work. Uh -huh. um, I will, I'll find that and I'll link it in the comments and in the show notes just for anybody who's watching or listening that Enrique's Journey so that you have that. Yeah. Case, you know, we're talking about people who haven't purchased a ticket. So what's the easiest way uh -huh. to the train? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you climb up a ladder and you get on top of a train. So, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. That makes so it clear. Uh, yeah. That's just one way that people uh, arrive. Right. And so I, I'm going to ask, I have a very dear friend who teaches first grade. And so I'm going to go back to your like child. So by the time my friend notices that a child in her first grade classroom, let's say, looks like they uh, either aren't being fed or are experiencing abuse in the home. And maybe she makes the call that she needs to make. And so then they're put into your system. Um, what you're saying is, uh, Part of what Sam Fr St. Francis wants to do is not just deal with the issue that my friend Marie, my friend saw uh, in her first grader, right? But instead, is what what else is going on? What's the layered trauma in this child's life, and how do we begin to address that in his or her little life, right? But also, how did we get here? Is that a fair way to kind of say the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think I think in in my work, um, and I'm not I'm not a social worker, and I'm mm -hmm. not a clinician. Mm -hmm. um, the work that I lead. Um, it has to do with with making sure that we are really seeing the whole child okay. uh, when they come into our care. And when, when you know, when you talk about your teacher friend who's a mandated recorder and sees right. a situation where she believes there might be abuse occurring, and the state determines through the courts that that is happening and that child needs to be in our care, or that that child is at risk, or that they, you know, that this is really a potential threat to the child, then they come into our services and we have to do an assessment of what really that child needs in order to be cared for while they're in the system. And then how can we help get them back home or, or gain permanency? If they mm -hmm. can't go back home, how do we help them gain permanency or mm -hmm. really stability in the long term? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't address issues of intersect intersection with right. child welfare, like migration, like human trafficking, then you're kind of missing the whole picture. Mm -hmm. um, and, and without addressing those very specific traumas, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, this requires a leveled services, a number of different services for mm -hmm. each child so that they can really um, 
develop resilience and be able to um, thrive, right? Uh, despite the kinds of trauma that have re- resulted in them being in our services. Because I would think a lot, a lot of children also are dealing with maybe language barriers or um, developmental issues, behavioral issues, uh, learning disabilities, any of those kind of things that happen to regular kids are also happening to these kids as well on top of everything else, right? Yeah. Right. Well, when we talk about our services here in the United States that have that international um, mm-hmm. intersection, so a child that has migrated to the United States and is seen through our Migration Ministries program, that that program actually has two separate, um, or that division, I should say, has two separate programs um, that often work together. And the first one is Refugee Services, and the second being Immigrant Child and Services, Immigrant Child and Family Services. Um, and not in any specific order. Um, But we do serve uh, people here in the United States who are both, uh, we both serve refugees and we also serve immigrants. So refugees who come here because of some sort of, uh, you know, they've they've been forced out of their home country due to persecution, whether that be religious persecution or ethnic persecution, you know, because of their race, race or ethnicity mm-hmm. or some uh, affiliation or belief that's political in mm-hmm. nature, those sorts of things that result in someone um, having to be or being forced out of their country. Um, those families, for example, and this is a different kind of trauma even, um, or a unique circumstance that leads to, to their trauma. So they've experienced that in, in their country. Then they go to a refugee camp where people often spend you know, years and sometimes decades or more than a decade. Um, and, and so sometimes when we receive people or we've received people from other countries who have achieved uh, a refugee status and are able to come to the United States, they've spent years um, living in uh, really difficult circumstances in refugee camps. And sometimes the children were even born in the camps. So you know, when we provide services to, to these families, we really have to look at you know, the circumstances where they came from, um, what was going on in that country when they were forced to leave. We have to look at it um, you know, from the perspective of someone who has often spent many, many years in, in circumstances that are sub, sometimes subhuman, frankly, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and had children in that setting and experienced all of the things that can happen in, uh, in a refugee camp. And then they arrive here in the United States and they don't speak the language necessarily. Right. And, and they don't understand our systems, how to use the bus or how to enroll their child in school. And so we provide services like that, mm-hmm. uh, that help people to acclimate uh, once they do get here to the United States. And, and then, you know, the, the children in the child welfare system, that's a different kind of trauma. So really we have to just look at these uh, circumstances of intersection um, in order to treat the whole person, to serve all of the needs um, mm-hmm. that come to us through these programs. So those are the two programs that really operate okay. here in the United States that have to do with uh, client services. So our refugee services program and immigrant child and family services serve the needs of immigrants and refugees right here in the United States. And then our international programs have a different, uh, a different kind of approach. It makes, when you're talking, it makes me think I have a dear friend whose husband, they're here from Saudi Arabia. They have seven children and he's a PhD student here and we live in a university town. And um, her oldest son is, uh, has handicap. He's in a wheelchair and has had multiple surgeries and things. And I I think of her because when she came here, she spoke no English. Her husband spoke enough English, you know, but he was in a English as second language program before he was admitted into his PhD program. And they lived right across the street from us. And um, as I've gotten to know her through the years, the obstacles that they have faced in this diverse, 
fairly welcoming um, community, university community, right? Where her husband is a student, where their family is loving, um, where they have a lot of things going for them that you're not talking about. They didn't come from a refugee camp, and it, but the obstacles of assimilating, of getting her children enrolled in school, of understanding what bus was coming when, of knowing what day to put the trash out, like, you know, just all these things, getting driver's license when she came from a country that women didn't drive, right? And it's different than what you're talking about, what I think of her, and I think about what I see every once in a while as, and, and the homesickness that she experienced because she was separated from her family. Like, I mean, she, they came here on purpose, but you know, it was just hard. She didn't have any friends here. And I think about that in an environment where she wasn't in danger and there wasn't abuse and there wasn't some of the other like horrible things that you're talking about and how difficult it was for her. And I just, I'm thinking of that situation and listening to you talk and realizing just the word that comes to my mind is desperate, how desperate these situations are for people who are dealing not only with those kind of changes, but then the layered trauma that you're talking about as well. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge life changes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the work in Central America, because I know you're very passionate about the work that's going on. You lead several programs there. What kind of um, system issues, if you will, or, or, or some things you guys have, um, you guys, that's very appropriate, um, your agency, your organization has uh, found are some of the hard issues, uh, the core issues of the, of the issue of the problem, and what are some of the ways that you're working to address those? Okay, um, so, you know, when, when we decided that it was important for us to work in Central America, um, we were really studying uh, the needs and the experiences of the children who are in our care here in the United States. Um, kind of the questions that I mentioned earlier, you know, why are, wh how did they get here? Why did they come? Um, what were the experiences that led them to be here? And so when you talk about systemic issues, Angie, um, and, and we look at Central America particularly, and we work in what's uh, often referred to as the Northern Triangle countries. So El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and those as people um, across the United States are, are well aware at this point are, are countries that um, are sending large numbers of, um, and when I say sending, I mean, people are, are, are migrating in mm -hmm. large numbers. People are leaving in large numbers um, because of, of systemic issues like poverty, like domestic and social violence. Um, you know, there, there are huge issues with gang activity uh, vulnerability of, of children and youth to recruitment, victimization of families and businesses, um, corruption, systemic corruption that leaves government agencies underfunded uh, when they're funded at all, um, substandard education, lack of opportunities. I mean, I could go on and on about the kinds of systemic issues that we see um, in Central America. Uh, and, and so, you know, we really felt called as an organization to begin this work uh, back in 2015. And, and we started with a relationship with a church uh, in El Salvador and began uh, really, really digging in into some of these, what we call uh, root cause issues of, um, of migration and of, uh, of, of circumstances that separate families in a lot of cases. And since we're an organization that is dedicated to children and families and strengthening children and families, you know, we really felt like we had, um, we, we were being called to do this kind of work. And so um, we wanted to, to arrive, to learn, to, um, to understand better um, the kinds of systemic issues that were, that were happening in these countries or that were present in these countries um, so that we could, so we could begin to, um, contribute to some solutions. And, and I'm a big believer that these are shared issues uh, and, and they 
will only be solved um, with shared solutions. Shared um, globally? You mean like they all, they touch all of us? Is that what you mean? Well, I think they're shared globally. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, migration itself, you know, there are millions of refugees all over the world and people who are forced from their homes. So yes, that's a global issue. But then also just regionally, you know, we're talking about situations where, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, we see news all the time in the United States around the issue of immigration and people arriving to the United States uh, through irregular migration. Um, and so, you know, these are, but they're, they're coming here. Um, so we have the issue here and they're, you know, they're coming from these countries. So, you know, these are issues that we can't solve on one side of the border or the other. We can solve them best if we really uh, look at the issue together and say, how can we help people thrive? How can we help children and families thrive in their homes, in their own communities? And that's really how St. Francis got involved in this work. Um, so St. Francis in Central America focuses on reducing issues of violence and poverty by addressing some of those factors that often lead to or are exacerbated um, by some of the issues I mentioned earlier, the poverty, the domestic and social violence, gang activity, so that we can help children and families thrive, like I said, in, in their homes and in their communities where they are, in their countries. Um, nobody really uh, wants to leave their families and their homes and right. their communities behind. And so how can we help them where they are uh, by addressing some of those, those factors that lead even, to even when the situation is desperate or is unhealthy to say the least, people want to stay with their families for the most part. I have, I've, I believe that that is true. And so I, I your goal. Yeah. Most often the case. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. so our projects really span three specific areas of focus, education, opportunities, okay. creation, and then strengthening social work. Uh, for children, families, and communities so that we can contribute to long-term solutions and systems change. Mm -hmm. um, so our programs included in, in El Salvador, for example, are, well, in Central America in general, we have Montessori program in El Salvador that we're, you know, we want to expand on because it's a peace education-based program that works uh, with early childhood education and helps to build peace in communities from, you know, from the earliest of ages so that uh, we can work with those children and families to, to develop a culture of peace in their communities um, as well as in their families. And then we also provide training and capacity building um, in communities and schools that, that is generally focused on leadership development, um, community and civic engagement. We have art and sports program in, in, in cooperation with a local school as part of our HOPES project model. Um, and then we are also working on things like development of home gardens. Um, with students and their families and engaging youth and adult volunteers who are then again making positive contributions to the communities. Um, Education is such a key to, isn't it, to solving the, I mean, I, I talked to Linda about that just with, you know, we just deal with feminine, I do anyway, just with the feminine height, but educating people on the basic like anatomy. I'm just talking about the one issue, just the basic anatomy. This is normal that it's happening to you. It's not something to be ashamed of. It happens to everyone. Let's talk about this. Let's have open discussion. Um, and I, she sends me pictures sometimes when they're handing out the kits and the smiles on the faces of, they're so proud of those kits um, when they realize that 
I think I, I, this is what I understand when they realize that this is something, um, not that ha doesn't have to be hidden or doesn't have to limit me. Right. But I have what I need to be able to continue to grow into the woman. Um, that I would say that God wants me to be, you know, that God has created me to be, this is a natural process. And so that's just one area, but, um, I, but I know, you know, not only does she educate in other areas of women's health, but you're educating, your program is educating in so many other areas. And, um, it's such a key, it's such a key to freedom, I think being educated yeah it's certainly a really important piece of, of what we do yeah. um and, and so that that led us you know over the years to learn as we learned more about communities um to look at you know really look at things from a justice perspective yeah. a holistic perspective what is it that's uh you know at the at the core of families having to be separated families um, you know, not thriving in the communities where they are. And so we developed a, a project called HOPES, uh, Holistic Organic Prosperous El Salvador is the-, is the That's is beautiful. The um, and so that project, actually, I'm, I'm really proud of. We, we just launched it about a year ago. It was just over a year ago that we launched that project. Um, and it's an agricultural and community impact project that we call a justice enterprise. Um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, Angie, and, and it's and it's a piece that I think is uh, is really exciting that we're that we've we've piloted in one community in El Salvador. We are piloting in one community in El Salvador, but we really want to see it grow. Um, so, like I said, we refer to it as justice enterprise. A lot of people have heard the term social enterprise, which really has to do with you know um, a business having some kind of social purpose. And and with justice enterprise, I, I think it's it's just a more faith centered um, expression. Um, and, and it's about, uh, it's about living in right relationship. It's, it's about people, um, caring about one another, building cultures of peace, it's about the natural creation. So it's about, you know, the environment and this project really focuses on three areas and that is sustainability, um, is, is as a whole, but in three areas, social, economic, and environmental sustainability. And we, we employ about 20 people on that, mm -hmm. uh, on that project right now and partner with a local school. So um, the farm itself generates revenue to help support the ongoing uh, operations and the community impact projects or the social impact projects in the community. And that helps us to sustain you know, our arts program, our sports program in the school, and also that leadership development aspect that helps children be engaged in these positive activities from an early age and through their youth. Um, and when you're talking about communities where um, gangs are active um, and people have fear and hopelessness, uh, you know, St. Francis, our mission is, is delivering healing and hope. So, you know, what, what better way could we do that by really uh, helping people to engage in, um, in sustainable ways uh, in improving the circumstances in their community, socially, economically, and environmentally. Um, and so that, that's a really exciting project that uh, is kind of at the center of our work in El Salvador and that we're beginning to implement the social impact pieces of it also in um, Guatemala. We've been actively working in Honduras for a few years now. Uh, so those are, those are exciting pieces of the work we do internationally. Yeah. So when you, you know, cause when you can supply a kit for a girl to say in school, or you supply a work in a, in an agricultural setting for a, a man or a woman, or I think of the women who, who make the kits in the, in the collective that Linda has, um, that make the kits for the girls. And when you give them something like that, isn't that hope 
that is hope. I think, um, yeah, where it's like, wait a second, I'm not just a victim. This kind of makes me emotional. I'm not just a victim of my circumstances, but someone is coming in and showing me, educating me, providing me an opportunity to make a different choice. Um, I have a choice that I didn't have before. And, um, and that, I think that is the essence of hope. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's just, it's, and I think it's about creating these opportunities, but also recognizing that, um, there are gifts in, in you know, we, we often talk about empowerment. So a job is empowering, right? Absolutely. It, it gives you something to care about. Yes. For our kids that allows yes. us to be able to buy the things we need to not just survive, but thrive. Um, and so we do that in ways that, um, you know, are, are rights focused. You know, how do we uh, provide a dignified wage for people and not, uh, you know, a wage that doesn't even allow them to, to do the basics? Mm -hmm. um, to provide for their families, those sorts of things. But for me, empowerment is, is a two-way street. I have never been more empowered in my life than you know, working with women in, in entrepreneurship projects, yes. working with, um, you know, with our team on the farm who teaches me every day, um, you know, not just, you know, not just technical teaching, right. mm -hmm. but, but teaching about what it means to care about one another, what it means to um, to, to be, to be appreciative of, um, of, of our natural environment, what it means to have faith. Um, yeah. those are things that, you know, that I'm inspired by and I'm empowered by. So I think it's a really dangerous road when, when we believe that, um, you know, when we do this kind of work and this is often a, a criticism of, you know, what people refer to as mission work is that, you know, we, we can't do it from the perspective of, you know, being the savior of, of poor people, you know, there's only one savior. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it's not Angela Smith. It's not Angela Bauman. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's Jesus Christ. And when we go into the, these environments, we have to go with the curiosity and with mm -hmm. the openness of a child and really be willing to see individuals and, and people as children of God and, and, and who are all deserving of, yes. of love and mercy. And that love needs to look like action. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because that's what the gospel calls us to. That's right. I think that's that's so beautiful and well said. Linda um, has a, a phrase that I have picked up called junk for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen her write about that or not before. And I'm like, sometimes um, probably well-meaning in our efforts, right? But we do things. Um, this is what this is what mission looks like, or this is what the, and when we don't get curious about what the needs really are, because a lot of times the needs are much messier. We were talking about that just before we went up the needs and, and what we need to do in order to serve those needs, to speak to those needs are a lot messier than giving our junk for Jesus, which is like <laughs> our leftovers, right? The things that aren't going to cost us anything. Um, if, right. we, if we donate or serve or whatever. And, um, yeah, it, it is, um, it is. That is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ by learning how we can actually get involved. Um, so, um, I, I'm just watching our time. Will you, before we wrap up, talk just a little bit about your affiliation or is this too big of a, tell me if this is too big of a box to open, but your affiliation with the United Nations and how um, that relationship is helping you address some of these problems? I think we can keep this part pretty brief. It is an important, it's, a, it's okay. an important part of our work. Um, we're still fairly new to our Uni United Nations affiliation, but I'm really glad that we engaged it. And, and you know, I would say that um, it, you know, it, it introduced us to um, and allowed us to more effectively connect with uh, in 
agencies of the United Nations. We started that work previous to our affiliation, um, but it, essentially what it is is that St. Francis participates in what's called the United Nations Department of Global Communications affiliate program. And that's really to support, to help support priority agenda items of the United Nations, particularly uh, the sustainable development goals. So this participation has helped us become connected with and understand our part in contributing to global objectives like ending poverty, um, hunger, achieving good health and well-being, uh, quality education for children, children's rights. It, it's also in, introduced us to and helped us um, connect with actors like the International Organization on Migration, where you know we can learn from them, and then we can also help support their work both in Central America and here in the United States, which we've been able to do, and that's been a real joy. Um, and then we we also get to participate in initiatives. Um, and this is really through connecting. Um, and, it, and it's a lot easier to connect when we can say, hey, you're an organization of the United Nations and we're an affiliate of the, the uh, global communications program. And so, uh, you know, we've been able to connect with and be included in now uh, what's called the food security and nutrition clusters um, during this emergency of the pandemic. Uh, and then subsequently in Central America, I don't know if you're aware, but there were two tropical storms, one on top of the other after, you know, like in the middle of the pandemic. And so these, the food security and nutrition clusters, which are organized by the World Food Program, by uh, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations and UNICEF, which serves children um, and the needs mm. of children around the world. Uh, they've organized and coordinated uh, humanitarian organizations around the region to address issues of food security, uh, which are huge right now, considering both the pandemic and then the subsequent uh, tropical storms. So that's really, uh, that's kind of a, in a nutshell, um, how our UN affiliation has, has really enriched our work uh, in international ministries at St. Francis. Partnerships, if we, if we will, and this is true, I think across the board, if we will humble ourselves and all of us across the board and, and learn from each other and partner with people who are doing similar work, but maybe slightly different, we can do so much more, but sometimes, uh, sometimes we won't humble ourselves and do it. Like we want this little piece of it or whatever. Right. Can I say, is that fair to say? And I'm, yeah. And so I'm glad because grad school, one of the things they always do, the, the synergy was like the buzzword, you know, when I was in grad school, how like one plus one equals more than two when we work together. And I think see so that so much, um, in the body of Christ, but just as a general rule also, right. When we will, when we will put our gifts and our knowledge towards the same goal, we will actually reach it faster than if we're trying to get there on our own. So. Yeah, and yeah. I love how you, how you put it as being humble. I think that's really important. And, and one of my, um, one of my friends um, and colleagues in, in the human trafficking field um, who, who, who works in that field, not works in the human trafficking field, but works in, <laughs> overcoming um, the trauma of yes. being trafficked. Uh, her name is, she's, a, she's also a pastor. She's a, an Episcopal priest by the name of Becca Stevens. And she operates Thistle Farms, which is a beautiful ministry in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. Uh, and, and Becca once told me, uh, and it has stuck with me since, uh, since she said it, you know, nonprofit work, humanitarian work, it should be 
a nonprofit sport, or I'm sorry, a non-competitive sport. Yes. We can do so much more when we do it together. Uh, and, and that's that's at the center of you know our principles and our values in Central America, where we work it here in the United States. If we can partner with another organization, you know, there's plenty of need. Mm-hmm. There's plenty, there are plenty of challenges to overcome in the world. No one organization can or should try to do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I have to say that she, she really uh, planted that seed with me years ago, which was to say, you know, this, this humanitarian work, this nonprofit work that we do in the world, it should be a non-competitive sport. You know, I think that's true in our spiritual journeys, like individually, because I think too often we try to like make up something to do a little bit, like what can I do for God instead of really looking for evidence of where God is working and joining him in that. Um, And that takes humility also, because we really, ultimately, we want him to get the credit, you know, but I mean, we should want him to get the credit, but too often we do not. Yeah. So um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And I said, well, we're human. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm a work in progress. So um, before we wrap up, do you have, what have I missed that you feel like is really important for our viewers and listeners to know? Or maybe do you have a story or anything like to illustrate uh, just any, it, how would you like to uh, close us down a little bit? Is there anything else you would like to add? You know, I would, I would just add that, you know, maybe not even add, but uh, I was thinking about this uh, earlier thinking about, you know, what, what, what is, what's going to be, uh, you know, the inspiration or the thought that I, I want to share on your program with your viewers, with your listeners. Um, and I really, I think, you know, one of the, the statements that St. Francis has made over the years, and I, I find really inspiring and, and that helps to, to center me and the work that we do is, is that, you know, prayer is important. It centers us. It helps us uh, stay close to God. It helps us um, connect with and, and be grateful for and uh, be, 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 you know, really be grounded in, uh, in our faith and in God. Um, but but the, the phrase that we use, and we actually have it, uh, you know, on, on different uh, kind of giveaway items that we have at St. Francis is pray, then get your hands dirty. Mm. If all we do is pray, uh, then we're really not carrying out the gospel. And there's another, uh, there's a song uh, written by- a I'm writing that down while you talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. There's a song uh, by a Guatemalan singer that I love too. That's, that's uh, it's called, uh, Jesus is verbo, no es sustantivo. Jesus is a verb. He's not mm. a noun. Uh, and, and, you know, I listen to that and I, and I try to keep that at the center of, um, of, of my own, um, journey, because I think that's true. I think it's, it's really important, uh, that we are grounded in our faith and it's even more important. I think that we live it out on a daily basis. Yes. And I I totally agree. Prayer is so important. It's so essential in our walk. Um, and prayer should also be humble, should be approached with humility so that we can listen to how God would have us behave and, um, our behavior, part of our behavior is what what are we doing with our hands? Um, and, uh, and it's important, so important to listen to that leading. So I just want to lift up my appreciation for, well, you being here again, but also the work that you're doing. And I know you don't do it alone by any means 
means, but uh, we appreciate you being a representative today of the work that St. Francis Ministries is doing. If people, I will put that book, I'll, I'll link that book that you referred to. Um, if people want to learn more or if they want to help, uh, where should they look? Where should um, websites or where, where would you send them, Angela? I would say uh, the best place to learn about St. Francis Ministries in all of its glory, because there are tons and tons of programs and ministries that we have at St. Francis is to go to our website at stfrancisministries.org and that's all spelled out s a i n t f r a n c i s ministries.org it's all one word and i'll um, link that for everybody that wants to know yep mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. if you want to learn more about our international work uh, mm -hmm. you can go to stfrancisministries.org backslash international dash ministries then you'll find out more about our work okay. here in the united states and international ministries and also um, throughout Central America and their work also uh, with with the UN and, and other other areas that we work and then also you can find us on Twitter uh, you okay can us on LinkedIn um, and of course Facebook we have uh, both a St. Francis Ministries page we have a St. Francis International Ministries page and then you can find a uh, specific page um, on our Texas ministries, which are, are fairly new to St. Francis and we're really excited about. So you can link to all of those. I will. Yeah, I'll people. put all that in the uh, comments and uh, in the show notes for the for, for the replay. So Great. Thank, thank you, you so much. It's been a joy to talk to you and learn from you. It's good to see you actually. We've talked on the phone a couple of times. So it's good to see your face. And um, see yeah, story. thank you. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to say goodbye. I hope this has been really uh, beneficial for you guys and that you've learned something. I know that I've learned just from talking to Angela beforehand and thinking about this. And even I, one of the things that I really feel, and I shared this with you already, is that the Lord is really stirring my heart to educate myself better in ways that people struggle and suffer. And, um, to not look away from that. Uh, we had a couple of weeks ago on a woman who was, who works for racial equality. And I wanted to have a conversation about that because it's not someone else's problem. And that doesn't mean, and I, you know, we, we can't fix everything and no, you know, you're so involved in this one area and we're so grateful for that work. And we can't be that involved in every area. Like, you know, but I think it's really important for us to continue to learn, um, how people are struggling so that we don't get so zoomed in on our own lives and perspectives. So thank you for helping us zoom out today. We really appreciate your time. So. Thank you. All right. We'll see thank you later. You. Peace. Okay. Bye. A couple of things will stick with me from my discussion with Angela. The first is the idea of layered trauma and how most of the time when it is determined that a child needs services, the experiences that led to their referral are only the tip of the iceberg. The other thing she said was that Jesus is a verb, not a noun. Our Christian walk is one of prayer and study and action, and each of those things require us to give something of ourselves in order to align our heart with God's. If you're interested in learning more, I have linked the St. Francis website and Facebook pages in the show notes. I have also included the information for the book Enrique's Journey that Angela mentioned. Thank you so much for listening, friend. I pray that wherever your day takes you, you are walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.